talk about everybody's favorite subject today. Yeah, you, are you ready? We're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject. You know what that is? It's obedience. <laughs> it's obedience, yeah. Well, you know, I, I think maybe it's everybody's favorite subject as long as we're talking about somebody else. Right? We, we like them. You know, it starts to get a little uncomfortable when we start turning it back to ourselves. Okay, so now, I don't know about you guys, this whole subject of obedience, okay? But now, like, I've got, we got two dogs. I want my dogs to be obedient. Right? I want, why do I want them to be obedient? Well, for one thing, it, it demonstrates to you that they're well-trained. Okay? They've been raised well, hopefully. Okay? But also... I want them to be obedient because it could save their lives, right? Like if I tell them to stop because there's a car about to come by. I wanted my kids to be obedient. Actually, for the same reasons. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. No matter our age or how we feel about it, we all need to learn to be obedient. For one really simple reason. Because God calls us to be obedient. God, God calls us to be obedient to him and to his word. So, simple question. When is obedience easy? When is obedience easy? It's never, it's never easy. It's never easy. Is, it, is obedience ever easy? When, when is, yeah, I mean, maybe about the only time obedience is easy is when you're getting to do something you want to do anyway, <laughs> right? If, if, if I say to you, make sure you eat lunch today, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. You know, so I mean, we, obedience is easy if it's what we want to do, but sometimes obedience is difficult, isn't it? Yeah. So today, we're going to continue the series we've been in, Wisdom and Folly. It's all about the life and reign of King Solomon. We're going to pick up the narrative of King Solomon's life in 1 Kings chapter 9, and we're going to see what God expected from Solomon regarding this issue of obedience. So let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 9. We're going to read verses 1 through 14. So it says, When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord in the royal palace, and he had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. The Lord said to him, I heard the prayer and the plea you have made before me, and I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully with integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father when I said, you shall never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. But if you or your descendants turn away from me and do not observe the commands and the decrees I have given you, and you go off to serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them, and I will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. All who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And the people will answer, 
because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why the Lord has brought this disaster on them. At the end of 20 years, during which Solomon built these two buildings, the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre, because Hiram had supplied him with all the cedar and juniper and gold he wanted. But when Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. What kind of towns are these you have given me, my brother, he asked. And he called them the land of Kabul, which means good for nothing. <laughs> A name they have to this day. Now Hiram had sent the king 120 talents of gold. Okay, so, so far what we've learned, right, from these verses is Solomon had completed uh, the, you know, the calling of God to build his temple, as well as his own palace complex. And in verse 1, it told us that he has achieved all he desired to do. That's a pretty big statement. Pretty big statement. How many of us could honestly say that we have achieved all that we desired to do? Yeah, not yet. <laughs> not yet. Okay, so just, just a quick review, right, to bring us, you know, from where we were to where we are. Remember, Solomon became king when he was about 20 years old, right? It tells us, we read in previous weeks, that he started building the temple in his fourth year as king. All the building projects took 20 years. So he's now in his 24th year as king. Okay, 24th year out of his 40-year reign. Okay, which means he's now about 44, 45 years old. Okay, so now from, from the way we think, right, from today's perspective, that guy, we would say, is like mid-career. Right? He's kind of mid-career. He's prime of life. He's like top of his game. And his accomplishments are pretty impressive. What he's done so far. He's built the temple. He's completed the five structures that make up his palace complex. He's solidified the kingdom and extended its influence. He's achieved international stature. He's maintained peace and prosperity for all of Israel so far. And he's even led the nation spiritually focused on the one true God. Not a bad resume, okay? A lot of good things, a lot to feel good about and to be proud of. Then the narrative continues. Verse 2 tells us that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time. Hey, I don't know about you guys, but most of us don't get a first time. Right? For the Lord to appear and talk to you. Solomon gets a second time. Okay? Now, now, you might imagine with all that Solomon has completed and has accomplished that the Lord's appearing to him a second time because God wants to tell Solomon how much he likes that temple that Solomon built. How beautiful all the features are. How ornate it is. How much he likes all those surfaces covered with gold. But that's not what God says. God talks to Solomon about two things. First thing, regarding the temple, all he does is acknowledge that Solomon was obedient in completing it. 
And, God, and then God confirmed that God, that he had consecrated the temple. Not Solomon. Solomon was just obedient building it. God consecrates it. Let's understand what that means. That's why God can be right here with us. This room's got nothing to do with who built the room. You understand? This room's got nothing to do with who built the room. Or whether we own it or we rent it or somebody just loaned it to us for today. It doesn't matter whether it's got nice wood pews with beautiful ornate carvings. Do you understand what I mean? God creates the place. God consecrates the place. It's, it's holy when God says it's holy. It's, it's holy because God's presence is here. That's why you can have a great prayer time sitting in a corner of a small room. That's why sometimes the best prayers I ever had were driving in my car. You know? Okay, because God, it's when God shows up and consecrates a place that it's holy. So remember, that's why you can have a great quiet time at your home. That's why you don't have, that's why we don't say, oh, well, do the best you can all week, but then, you know, make it here on Sunday so you can really pray. No, this is just one more place where God will be with you. Right? Okay, so I'm really encouraged by the fact that God didn't make a big thing about how beautiful the temple was. All he just said was, good job, you did what I, you were called to do. Okay, but I'm consecrating it now, putting my name there, and, and saying that I will meet with you there. Okay, but then, boy, get this. Now, remember, Solomon is king. Solomon is the wisest man that's ever lived, and right now he's the richest guy in the world. Right? That's who he is. But now God, you know, says, as for you. I mean, think about that. You know, he says, he says, okay, you did a good job. You did what you were supposed to. But now, I made the place holy. As for you. That doesn't, that doesn't sound like, how, you know, how he might be expected to be talked to. So, as for you, right? You've built me this beautiful temple uh, because you're the wisest man who ever lived. No, that's none of that. He doesn't say that. He says, as for you. And then he says, if, if. Now lock on that word, if you remain faithful and you observe all my commands and decrees, then, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. But, then he says, if you turn away from me and do not observe my uh, commands and decrees and you turn to other gods, then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and reject this temple. No matter how beautiful it is, if you're not obedient to me, I will leave this place behind. God made it clear to Solomon that no matter how large, how impressive, how magnificent that temple was, no matter how much gold had been used, in its construction and furnishings, God's commitment to that temple was totally dependent upon Solomon and his people living in obedience to God. What we have here, right, is it's something I think most of us are familiar with. God's using a conditional statement. If, then. If, then. Okay, you know, we use them all the time, right? If it rains, the grass will turn green. 
right? No, I mean, we do if then all the time. It's conditional, right? If this rains, grass will turn green. If you study hard, you pass the test, right? And then if you remain faithful, I will bless you. This is nothing unusual. We deal with that all the time in our lives. And, with, and in God's word, it's no different. It's full. God's word is full of conditional promises. Just think about it. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. So if you trust in the Lord with all your heart and you don't try to rely on yourself, in all your ways you submit to him, then he will make your path straight. If, then. Okay? John, hey, here's a verse everybody knows. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. If, right? Since God so loved the world and he gave his only son, so if you believe in him, then you will not perish and have eternal life. James 5, uh, James 1, 5 is even more clear on it. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Then he will give it generously to all without finding fault. It will be given to you. If you lack wisdom and you ask God, and you ask God for it, then he'll give it to you. Look, I think the takeaway from these first nine verses that we read is that God's word is full of these powerful promises and of blessing and provision, but they're all dependent upon our obedience to his word. Verses 10 to 13 uh, talk about then that in order to settle some of the debt that Solomon you know, owed Hiram for all that timber and gold he had supplied, Solomon gives him 20 towns in Galilee, right? In addition, remember all that food that he gave him, okay? That big allotment of food. So he had, that he'd been supplying him. These towns, now it's interesting because what he did was actually kind of traditional. These towns, if you look at the maps and you study the time, these towns were like on the border between, between them, okay? And customarily, uh, if you kind of gave another king sort of border towns, that was, that was kind of like marrying the other guy's daughter. You know, it was, it was sort of like a way to help ensure peace, right? Because I'm, I'm, you're, you're sort of creating a, a demilitarized zone or, you know, a, sort of a, a peaceful uh, uh, area between the two of you. And so generally that helped establish a friendly border, you know, on, uh, for the long term. So I think Solomon thought he was doing a good thing. Um, the, the, here was the other part that really caught me. In verse 14, it talked about but that, that Hiram had sent him 120 talents of gold, okay, for during that project. Folks, in today's value, that's $168 million. $168 million. I checked the math a couple of times. That's a lot of gold, right? Okay. But then we said, Scripture tells us Hiram wasn't pleased with the towns. In fact, apparently, he gave them back to Solomon. Okay? Because this, this account is also recorded in 2 Chronicles 8. Okay? 2 Chronicles chapter 8. And verses 1 and 2 say that at the end of 20 years... Remember the 20 years where Solomon was doing all this stuff? Okay, during the, at the end of the 20 years, during which Solomon built 
the temple of the Lord and his own palace, Solomon rebuilt the villages that Hiram gave him, which were only the ones, Hiram only gave him the ones that Solomon had given him. And, and he settled Israelites in them. Okay? So now, now, but the interesting part is, and, and Scripture doesn't tell us a lot more about that whole transaction, but apparently we're going to read a little bit more in a minute, and we're going to find out that Hiram must not have been too upset about the whole deal because he kept on dealing with Solomon. He kept on doing projects with him, okay? And they kept on collaborating and cooperating. So apparently that was maybe a little bump in the road, but it didn't seem to throw things off, off course, okay? So now, let's continue on and read a bit more of today's passage, and that's 1 Kings 9, and we're going to read uh, verses 15 through uh, the end of the chapter, through 28. So we pick it up there, and we say, here is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, his own palace, the terraces, the wall of Jerusalem, and Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. Uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer and had set it on fire. He killed its Canaanite inhabitants and then gave it as a wedding gift to his daughter, who was Solomon's wife. And Solomon rebuilt Gezer. He built up lower Beth Horan, uh, Balath, Tadmor in the desert, and within uh, his land, as well as his store cities and the towns for his chariots and his horses. Whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and throughout all the territory he ruled. There were still people left from the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These were people, these people were not Israelites. Solomon conscripted the descendants of these people remaining in the land whom the Israelites could not exterminate to serve as slave labor. And it is this way to this day. But Solomon did not make slaves of any of the Israelites. They were his fighting men, his government officials, his officers, his captains and commanders of his chariots and charioteers. They were also the chief officials in charge of Solomon's projects, 550 officials supervising those who did the work. After Pharaoh's daughter had come up from the city of David to the palace Solomon had built for her, he constructed the terraces. Three times a year, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar he had built for the Lord, burning incense before the Lord along with them and so fulfilled the temple obligations. King Solomon also built ships at Ezion, Geber, which is near Elath and Edom, on the shore of the Red Sea. And Hiram sent his men, so Hiram's still willing to deal with them, Hiram sent his men, sailors who knew the sea, to work uh, to serve in the fleet with Solomon's men. They sailed to Ophir and brought back 420 talents of gold, which they delivered to King Solomon. Okay, so starts off telling us about Pharaoh's wedding gift to his daughter. I don't know if any of you have had kids that gotten, have gotten married. I suppose you gave them a wedding gift. I doubt it was a city. I'm kind of guessing. Maybe a small village, but, you know, I'm doubting it was, a, it was a city. But then we're not royalty, are we? Okay. However, 
these verses pose a very interesting question. The city of Gezer was actually within the borders of the land that God had promised to the Israelites back to Abraham. It's within that land. Yet verse 16 tells us it was inhabited by the Canaanites. So in verse 16, remember it said, Pharaoh killed its Canaanite inhabitants and he gave it as a wedding gift to Solomon's wife, his daughter. Obviously Pharaoh understood that those Canaanites, if he, after he captured the city and gave it to his daughter, would pose an ongoing threat to his daughter and the gift that he was giving her. They might resent it. They might not like it if he allowed them to remain. Yet, verses 20 and 21 tell us that in the rest of the land that God had given to, the, to his children, the Israelites, there were still Amorites, Hittites, Pez, uh, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites still living within the land. Why is this a problem? What's that? They're foreign, they serve foreign gods. They serve pagan gods. What else? God has told them to destroy. God already, remember we're talking about obedience today? Yeah, okay. God has already issued a decree to destroy them. So, kind of gets to be interesting. So, let's look at Deuteronomy 20, 16 to 18, just to know where that came from. Okay? This is God speaking, and it says, However, in the cities of the nations that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance, the promised land, do not leave alive anything that breathes. Now that's pretty clear. This is not one of those verses where we have to say, I wonder what God meant. Okay? Do not leave alive anything that breathes. Completely destroy them. The Hittites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Why? Otherwise, they will teach you to follow all the detestable things they do in worshiping their other gods. And you will sin against the Lord your God. Good answer. Look, hundreds of years earlier, Joshua knew this. He knew what they were supposed to do. However, in Joshua 15, 63, it tells us, and I want you to hear this, it says that Judah could not dislodge the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. And to this day, the Jebusites live there with the people of Judah. Okay? I want you to hold that verse. Now, Centuries later, during Solomon's reign, verse 21 tells us that Solomon conscripted descendants of all these peoples remaining in the land whom the Israelites could not exterminate. The word I want you to understand, remember Judah could not dislodge, and it says the Israelites could not exterminate. That really caught my eye. Because what do we know 
about God and his promises. What, what do we know about him? He keeps his promises. Okay, had God promised the Israelites the promised land? And he, he told them to wipe out everybody living in it that breathes? Okay, so if God tells you to do something, does it make sense that then God will enable you to do it? Okay, now, when God has ever enabled you to do something, does that also come with a little engraved envelope that says, and by the way, it'll be easy? No, really think about it, right? God doesn't promise us easy. He just promises to be with us, right? Okay, so, so here's the deal. If you go back and you look up the original language of those, both those verses where it says could not, couldn't dislodge, could not exterminate, let me give you a little better translation. Okay? Yeah, it's, it's even better. If you look up the original translation, a more accurate translation in both those verses is, they did not endure. They did not endure to dislodge the people. God had promised them the land. That means they could have done it. But it was hard and so they quit too soon. It was hard. So they quit too soon. Here's the fact. Sometimes obedience is hard. Sometimes obedience is really hard. Sometimes to be obedient to God and His Word, we have to endure. We have to endure. We have to stay at it. Even when it's hard, God never promised to make our lives easy. I wish He would. Because that would be easy. But God never in His Word promised to make our lives easy. What He did promise is that He would be with us in the middle of the struggle. In the middle of our enduring. Some of you folks that are right here today know what enduring is all about. Some of you are enduring dialysis. Some of you are enduring chemo. Some of you have endured the physical and mental challenges of quitting smoking. Think about it. That takes enduring. Look, there's stuff in our lives that are not easy, but God has called us to do it, which means if we will just endure he will see us through. He will see us through. Enduring means to carry on despite. In fact, to carry on through despite the hardships. To suffer patiently without yielding. God has called you and me to obedience. And often that obedience will require endurance. So the real question for us, right, then, is are we willing to endure? Okay? So then the other question, I think, from the passage becomes, well, then why didn't Solomon complete what the generations before him had not done in obedience to God? Why didn't he finish the job? I mean, think about it. He was in a very strong position. It, we, we know from the past weeks and uh, one of Pastor Cindy's messages, he had peace on all sides. There was no, he had no wars he was fighting. He was very wealthy, had a powerful army. So why didn't he complete it? 
there becomes a really good question. And you can only wonder why Scripture doesn't tell us, maybe it was because Solomon had become accustomed to having these people around. Maybe he had come to think they weren't so bad. Well, they just got little pagan gods. I don't know, you know. Maybe, maybe they're not so bad. They don't meet on Sunday morning like we do, so maybe it's different, you know. And maybe it's okay. Okay? Or maybe what he really liked was having, avail- having them available for forced laborers. Maybe he liked the free labor. Okay, now, what problems do you and I create in our own lives from not being obedient to God's instructions? What kind of problems do we create? Causes confusion, confusion, for sure, yeah. Fear, Fear. okay. Shame and depression. Shame and depression, yeah, and, and, and we miss out on God's best for us. Right? I mean, isn't that really the, 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 if we believe God loves us, and so God only wants the best for us, then not being obedient means we're not living the best life we could. We're living something less. Okay? So let's take the last few minutes we've got today from, based on this passage, and let's talk about how then do we live obediently? What, what does that look like in our lives? Okay? Living obediently, first thing, if we want to live obediently, we've got to read God's Word. We've got to read God's Word. We've got to read it. We've got to commit it to memory. We've got to understand it. At the end of the day, all that really matters on any topic, and you know, by the way, has anybody noticed the world is full of opinions? <laughs> Am I the only one that's noticed that? Or has anybody have you noticed? The world is full of opinions. And some of the people who give you their opinions say it with a lot of power and, and force. Like, like if you're the loudest one in the room, you win. Here, here's the fact. At the end of the day, all that really matters on any topic is what God's Word says about it. That's all that matters. Everything else is just fluff. It's a waste of time. And a lot of God's Word contains if then. Solomon had built a magnificent temple, and I'm sure that a lot of people in Jerusalem were sending him notes of congratulations and probably bouquets of flowers to put around it. And when, you know, if there'd been social media, they would have been taking snaps and putting it on Instagram. And I mean, they would have been saying, look at this beautiful temple and telling Solomon and the, his leadership team, what a, you know, what a great job they had done. But nowhere does it say that God told Solomon, wow, Solomon, that's really beautiful. I can't wait to move in. <laughs> you know, God just simply and plainly responded by saying, if you walk before me in obedience, then I will continue to bless you. That's it. That's it. No matter what mission, what task you or I have completed for God, don't get caught up in other people's praise. Don't get caught up in other people telling you how good you are or what a great job you've done or how, what a wonderful whatever. You know what? Because at the end of the day, it's only God's approval that matters. It's only God's approval that matters. And His approval, His blessing is always 
always conditioned upon our obedience. Always. Hey, in case you're not clear on that, Deuteronomy 28, 1 to 9 speaks as clearly to this point as it could. It says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all His commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings, get this list, all these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. The crops of your land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks, your baskets and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. Some of us have got some tough things in front of us. The enemies may be enemies of our health. They may be enemies of our finances. They may be enemies. Do you see what I mean? Enemies don't always mean soldiers. Okay? There's a lot of enemies. But it says you will be blessed. And they will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction. Flee in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land He is giving you. The Lord will establish you as His holy people as He promised you on oath if you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in obedience to Him. Okay, we're talking about obedience. And I do want to make one thing clear because we're talking about God's Word being full of conditional statements. Let me step out of this for one second and be clear on this. There is one thing that is totally, 100% unconditional. And that is God's love for you. God's love for you and you and you is totally unconditional. It's not a, if you do this, then God will love you. It is God loved you before you were born. God loved you since you were created. 1 John 4, verses 7 to 10. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love God does not know God because God is love. He, he's just doing his natural thing. He loves you because he is love. And, and here's the proof. God, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God. Because that would be the conditional thing, right? Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice for our sins. So, God's promise of His love and salvation are not conditional. His blessings and promises are. Okay? First step in living obediently, then, is we got to read God's Word so we actually know what it says and we understand our role. Okay? God's love. Becoming a follower of Jesus, we have, we have, it's conditional. 
We have, to, we have to accept them. But God puts it there. It's available for all of us. Unconditional. His blessings and favor are. Second thing we've got to do is we've got to listen to God's voice. Got to listen to his voice. Now, occasionally in Scripture we read, like with Solomon. Guess he got talked to God a couple times. Okay? But we read where people, where God spoke to people in an audible voice, but I think we'll all agree that's not very often. Okay? For most of us, God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us in our spirits. As we read his word, as we pray, meditate. Occasionally he speaks to us through others. Could be through wise counsel, through prophetic words, words of knowledge. But what we really need to do is to regularly find time to be still before the Lord. Regularly be still before the Lord. So that we got to wait on God. we got to listen to his voice. Because God will speak to us. God will speak to us. And then finally, when God does... Third thing, when God speaks to us, we need to obey immediately. Obey immediately. Once you've heard from God, what more do you need? Really, what do you need? Just get going and do it. The longer you wait, the harder it becomes. Delay only gives the enemy time to create doubt. It only gives the enemy time to make you think, did I really hear from God? Did I really hear from him? Am I really supposed to do that? Or, or to fear to create fear in you about your ability to accomplish what God has told you to do. Every day of delay simply moves you further off course and just makes it that much harder for you to find your way back. By the way, this is one of those times, it's part of the obedience is not always easy. Okay? It, it doesn't matter what other people are doing. Right? One of the excuses you can hear people say is, yeah, well, everybody else was doing it. You know, at the end of the day, you are accountable for your actions, not theirs. And God is only going to hold you accountable for your obedience or lack of it. So we need to be obedient. When God has spoken, we just need to get busy and do what he says, even if you're the only one. Even if that means you have to endure. Okay? As we've seen in today's scripture, disobedience has consequences. Sometimes they're immediate. Sometimes lack of obedience today carries consequences well into generations to come. Like we read earlier, it said that no generation had endured in obedience. No one had actually done everything that God had told them to do. And those pagan religions, those people who remained in the land, eventually are the cause of leading Solomon and the Israelites away from God. Because they remained. So, don't delay. Don't miss out on God's blessing. Obey immediately. All right. So, as we get ready to close today, I just want to encourage us with this. Look, when we do get off track, and can we all admit we do? Okay, we all agree, yep, I've got, we've all gotten off track. Okay, from time to time, we all do it. Here's the key, don't stay there. Don't stay there. The minute, the minute you realize, I have gone off track. I, no matter how I got here, I, I know I'm off track. What do we want to do? 
The minute we realize we're not living in obedience to what God has told us to do, we confess it to God. We say, Lord, I just messed up. I have gone over here and you told me not to go over here. But I did it. We repent of it. And we return. We get back on track giving it to God. And doing that releases one of the most wonderful conditional promises of God. And it's one we, a lot of us know, 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, if, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Look, today as we close, I just want to encourage each of us to commit to endure. Commit to endure. Let's be people that, that when we know what God has called us to do, even when it's not easy, our commitment is we will endure. We will stay at it until the task is done. So today, we stand with me as we get ready to close. Simple thing for you uh, to decide today. Uh, just heads bowed, eyes closed. Uh, if you are ready to commit to endure, to carry on through despite the hardships, to live obediently for God, just raise your hand. Say, yeah, that's me. I want to be one of them. Amen. Lord, today, you've seen our hands. I think they're all up, Lord. God, today, we want to commit our lives to you and say, Lord, we want to endure. We want to be men and women who endure in obedience to you. And so, Lord, now we just uh, we commit this day to you. We ask your blessing and favor on us as we leave here today. Lord, please keep us all healthy. Please keep us safe. Lord, guard our ways and guide our paths in Jesus' precious and holy name. And therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen.